What's your legacy? Miami-Dade residents produce six pounds of trash daily. Much of that is plastic and will remain in our environment long after we're gone. Be part of the solution. Eliminate single-use plastic. More at miamidade.gov slash plasticfree305. You are listening to The Dollop. Each week, I, Dave Anthony, read a story from American history to my friend... Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is about. That's right. He doesn't. David, you're shouting. He doesn't know anything about it. Dave. Just back off. David. God, you want to look at a dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> People say this is funny? Not Gary Gareth. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakey of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> My friend Will is. (laughs) Anthony Comstock was born in 1844 in New Cannon, Connecticut. 1844? You heard it. Okay. Comstock was raised in a family of evangelical congregationalists. Should I just go now? Because this already (laughs) is not good. (laughs) That's never good when we start out with that. Yeah, that's strong. They believe that lust, lewdness, and intemperance were the causes of man's downfall. And yet their name was Comstock. <laughs> it is with an O. It's not with a U. Listen, I'll pronounce it how I feel Gotcha, right. gotcha. His father was a prosperous farmer owning 160 acres of land and two sawmills. His mother, Polly, was a devout congregationalist, and she died when Comstock was only 10 years old. But her religious fervor remained alive in her son, who clung to the fire and brimstone faith of his childhood. Why do, why do they all have parents that die when they're 10? That's they part, all do. That's part of, yeah. You mean any dollar person? Yeah. yeah. That's, they, all, they all had someone die yeah. young. That's why they're all nuts. Yeah. No. It really forms you. At uh, age 12, you're like, he seems fine. Age 18, you're like, ah, oh, he's uh, ripping off cat's heads. Based on a firm belief that the devil's temptations were all seeing, Comstock believed that abstinence from all impure thoughts and behaviors secured the faithful path to righteousness. So not just not doing it, yeah. but getting rid of the thoughts. But that's impossible. Because, no, sir. But you know when, like... You just don't think it. But you know when, like, your brain will be a real fucker to you? Uh-huh. When you'll be like, all right, don't 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 think about that. Just stop thinking about it. And your brain will just kind of be like, meh, maybe think about it. You're like, no, I'm trying to not think about it and, right now. And then you're masturbating in a <laughs> and park. Thing, you know you're masturbating with the Bible. <laughs> We've heard it a hundred times. <laughs> Things did not go well for Comstock's father during the Civil War. He ended up losing the farm. We can only assume because he had impure thoughts, right? I mean, yeah, no, if he lost the farm... If, he pictured some tits. There's no more farm. If the causes of man's downfall were lust and lewdness, then he... Yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. Uh, then Anthony's brother died in the Battle of Gettysburg. Ah, also must have engaged in Probably lewdness. thinking about doggy style, it, something like that. breasts or whatever. Yeah. Anthony Comstock then joined the Union Army. Okay. He served for a total of 12 months, but saw no action. Comstock was stationed... sexually or in the Army? Probably, yeah. Okay. I would say so. Fair. Comstock was stationed in a relatively peaceful area of Florida, removed from the, the glory of the good fight. During his time, he attended church nine times a week. What? He got it in. Jesus Christ. He got it in. There's no time to think about fucking... There, you can, you just keep going. Nine times. Nine times. 
His regiment did not have a chaplain, so Comstock decided to step into the void and spent his time preaching to his fellow soldiers. (laughs) He was not popular amongst his fellow recruits. I bet. They did not care for his refusal to drink his allotment of whiskey. (laughs) That's the best. I love when people are like that. Fucking don't like you because you're not getting drunk. Well, hold on. Oh, boy. Because he would pour it on the ground instead of giving it to someone else to drink. Uh, Now I am on their side. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking asshole. He had a real hard time organizing prayer meetings and was often ridiculed by his fellow soldiers. He preached against the use of tobacco, alcohol, gambling, and atheism among the soldiers and became an active in the Christian commission. There is just... Yeah, you can just see why. Yeah. I can understand what's, hating this guy. What's not to hate? Yeah, there's nothing you should like here. Hey, party bummer. Yeah. The commission... The... No, excuse, you guys are smoking? You guys smoking? Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to show you I've got my whiskey allotment here. Uh-huh. Oh, can I have Pour that? Pour that on the ground. Oh, God. You guys believe in God? Yeah, no. I don't, don't fuck. What? I'll be in my tent. <laughs> The Christian Commission was created by the YMCA to keep soldiers moral after it was discovered that publishers were sending obscene books and pictures to soldiers in the army. The commission pushed for a provision in the post office bill of 1865, making it a misdemeanor to send any obscene book, pamphlet, picture, print, or other publication of vulgar and indecent character through the mail. What kind of society? In 1864, the act attempted to create a protective shield around the soldier so that he could not receive erotic materials. Ugh. Just let him jerk off. They're going to die. They're, they're fucking putting how, their lives on yeah, the line. If your life is just fighting. Can I just see a vagina Just now let him fuck. You, just you should be. Titties? Yeah. Publicly whack. Publicly whack. Whack away. That's going to be the name of my magazine. Yeah. When you're in the trench, be like, I'll move in in a second. I'm just going to masturbate for the fifth time today. I really hate it here. So, so Comstock was a bummer, and after one year in the army, he was either discharged for being annoying or he left because he, he couldn't take all the vice. It's the closest he'll come to a real discharge. Comstock then moved to New York City in search of his fortune. Because if you hate all that shit, where else would you go, you go to but the New York City? You go to the city that never sleeps. He was completely shocked when he came face-to-face with the center of America's commercialized sex industry. Sex in the mid-19th century in New York was wide open. The, quote, waiter girls were uncovering their legs near saloon pianos. Prostitution was blazingly open on major streets. Magazines and newspapers regularly printed lurid and sensational stuff. Newspapers advertised contraceptive devices as well as abortionist addresses, (laughs) which I did not know. You need an abortion? Come down to Tommy's. But the truth Best is... Best abortions in town. <laughs> Two for one. <laughs> Come get nine. Your tenth is on the house. Bring your friend Polly. Yeah. <laughs> but there is like, you know, you should have the free... I mean, all those things are things that I believe should be yeah. allowed. No, I'm totally fine with yeah. it. Uh, pornographic materials and erotica uh, circulated freely around the city. Along with the male working class, a subculture of what were called... Sporting men emerged in the 1830s. Young middle-class men living without supervision and with money to spend sought enjoyment after hours. They found it in games, liquor, entertainment, and commercial sex. Their needs and desires became sources for opportunity in gambling houses, saloons, theaters, brothels, 
and a network of printers and distributors of erotic literature. These sporting men shaped the alternative subculture of leisure in urban America. They created their own set of rules. I like these guys. This is when Comstock started his war against obscenity. Oh, God. What? In 1860, I love they, when people fight war on like like the, the war, war on, on like war on terror or war on obscenity. If you're even saying the war on, you've already yeah you're, you're already a you're dick. not in a good area. Yeah, you're already a douchebag. Yeah, yeah. In 1868, a close friend of Comstock's was led down the path of moral decay by reading obscene materials. That poor bastard. After reading the porn, he went to he went to a brothel and picked himself up a little bit of the VD. Okay, just a touch, just a little bit, little baby. Comstock was enraged. He went to the bookstore where his friend had bought the book uh-huh. and purchased himself an obscene book. He then marched over to the local police department and returned to the bookstore with a police captain who arrested the store owner and seized all of his stock. What? <laughs> How the... F- I don't know. What the fuck? The cop? Okay. Comstock then started making the rounds in New York, buying obscene books and having the owners arrested. But what? Okay. So the cops before were like, oh, I guess you do have a good point. It is illegal. Those are titties. I guess this is not legal. So, okay. I'll be. Okay. We'll go do that. Sorry. We let you think that was okay. It wasn't until this fucking noodle, wet noodle here came and told us. Yeah. The bummer's here. The Young Men's Christian Association, the YMC, had been on the forefront of the fight against obscene things for a while. That, 1960, that 1865 law the YMC had created to save the soldiers was the one Comstock was using to have bookstore owners arrested. Next, Comstock wrote a letter to the YMCA asking for their help. He needed money to buy obscene plates and books from the widow of a dead book dealer. And the YMCA was like, this guy is awesome. That's smart. We don't need any more dumbbells. I love that he's also going after the widow of a guy. Yeah, and plates. I don't know if they're actual plates or if they're like plates in the sense of the of the. Oh, like they're like printing, printing plates? I, but I don't know if they're printing things or if they're actually plates with chicks' boobs on them. And but my, I hope they're plates I, that with chicks' boobs. We're, and like, we're hoping the same thing. Yeah, you like eat some of the spaghetti and you're yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Look at that pubic. <laughs> yeah, all right. That was a good lunch. <laughs> Comstock then came the attention of the founding member of the YMCA, one of the founding members, Morris Jessup. Jessup then created within the YMCA the Committee for the Suppression of Vice to secretly fund Comstock's efforts. Oh, God. In the first two years of Comstock's efforts, he had 106 people arrested, two-thirds of whom were convicted. That's crazy. Now living in Brooklyn with a wife... Comstock was frustrated with what he saw when he walked to church. Saloons open on Sunday. In 1871, he began a campaign to enforce the law of Sunday closing. No. Which took a dangerous turn when he was threatened by a saloon keeper and forced to defend himself with a revolver. He then went back to fight against erotic material. Yeah, he was like, all right, all right, I get this. I get, you guys, all right, you guys okay. like to drink and shit okay. and stuff. Okay, Sunday's be, fine. I'm going to go after the nudies. No more whacking off at plates. You got, I got your point. No more erotic plates. Comstock himself authored a pamphlet in 1872, a, quote, private and confidential report to the directors of the YMCA in New York, informing them of the baldest facts regarding the dangerous materials in their midst. Okay. 
The cover text promised description of, quote, a warfare against obscene books, etc. The hundred copies were each numbered, and the name of each person who received one from the secretary was preserved with the number on the pamphlet. So it's like watermarking at studios. When right. you get a script, like when I when I get like a Marin script, it would have my name on it. Yeah. Like, Don't let this out. Yeah. Robert McBurney, then the secretary of the YMCA, was said to have retrieved the distributed copies and burned them. All right, you got four days to read about the smut. And then I'm going to come and set that on fire. <laughs> You got that? That's just the way it's working around here. Do the math. It's a lot like an X-Files script. That's from the future. (laughs) Although one remains today, one pamphlet still remains today in the committee files of the Cotts family, YMCA archives at the University of Minnesota. So there's one left. There's one left. In 1872, the Committee for the Suppression of Vice was raising funds for Comstock's work. Comstock emphasized the direness of the situation by listing items he had already destroyed. Quote, 30,000 articles made of rubber for indecent purposes. Wait, what? <laughs> vibrators and dildos. dildos oh, not vibrators, okay. dildos. He's talking about dildos. <laughs> uh, my head, I just went to con. I just couldn't picture what we're talking what about. What were you thinking about? Like gloves? In my head, I was sort of picturing like, a rubber magazine where it was like, the only magazine you can come on. <laughs> oh my God, that's a great idea. Thank you. Uh, the prevention of contraception for the use of both sexes. So that's what the rubber was. Also dildos. And he put in parentheses, that being the trade name. Oh, uh, it's just great when they have to write stuff like that. Yeah. Like right. when this writing, this word is Lewinsky making me scandal angry. scandal was going on and everyone yeah. was like, the president's cock. You're like, oh, <laughs> oh news, God, you've uh, never been better. Uh, the dildos are made of stout rubber and in the form of the male organ of generation for self-pollution. 5,500 playing cars, which, when held to light, exhibit ex- obscene pictures. And more than 125,000... 125,000 books known as The Writings of Paul de Kock. That's the author, I believe. I mean, he's the best author ever. Paul de Kock? Well, they kept it subtle back then. It's just... It's so great. Well, it's, it's also... Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. Well, look at what I'm uh, it's doing. It's French. For de Kock. For the yeah. dick. Some of the book titles uh, were Night... Free and Easy, Love's Festivals, Day's Doings, The Delights of Love, and Wedding Night. (laughs) Hey, you read Wedding Night yet? Man, 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 I cannot wait to get married, man. It really hurt her. Uh, (laughs) Wedding Night. A story of deflowering. (laughs) She was 13 and he was 80. (laughs) Welcome to Kentucky. Hey. Any reference to France or Paris was a clue that the book was sexual in nature. Wow. Also, the words racy, sporting, gay, fancy, and rich. They were all indications that it was going to be naughty. (laughs) French books, pictures, and rubber goods made up a significant percentage of the material Comstock pursued. In late 1872 and 1873, it was widely reported in the press that Theodore Tilton said he had seen his wife Elizabeth having sex with their preacher on a, quote, little red lounge. Hmm. The preacher was Henry Ward Beecher, one of the most loved preachers preacher in the Preacher Beecher? Yeah, Preacher Beecher. Okay. One of the most loved preachers in the United States. Bang in one of the parishioners. 
Theodora Theodore Tilton was a writer and a reformer, so this was big news considering those involved. Yeah. Two women published an account of the affair in their magazine, and Comstock lost his shit. <laughs> Did he ever have it? I don't know. Okay. But he was unable to get the district attorney to prosecute the two women who published the account. So Comstock, using an alias, ordered one by mail. Ah. And when it was sent, he went into action. Oh, Jesus. On November 2nd, 1872, U.S. Marshals arrested Victoria Woodhull for sending obscene literature through the mail. The charge stemmed from the issue of Woodhill and Claire Claflin's, that's weekly, Woodhill and Claflin's weekly, that detailed the adulterous affair. So these two ladies were putting out a, a weekly newspaper thingy. Yeah. A pamphlet, whatever it was. And Victoria Woodhull was part of the new sensibility in America that was, uh, that was upsetting the old Christian type so much. The new belief was that heterosexual intercourse was an important facet of life. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine someone thinking that fucking is okay? Yeah. Like what kind of time did these people live in? Like you were, they, they thought you could just go out and have sex with people that you liked. It's disgusting. It's honestly, I I can't imagine it. No, no, sir. (laughs) Not us. Yeah. Not this podcast. No, thank you. And it was as important for men, women to have sex as it was for men. Oh, now now we, we've Hold gone too on. far now. Hold on. We've gone too far. And any repression of sexual urges from their natural expression was harmful. Oh, man, this is crazy. <laughs> At the time, Victoria Woodhall was a major voice pushing this new point of view. She insisted so, men... So in- her name is... Victoria Woodhull, H-U-L-L. We're really just dancing yeah, a fine line with insinuative <laughs> names here today. We've got a Comstock we really and a are. Woodhull. We really are. Uh, she insisted men and women had the right to sexual expression unconstrained by law and public opinion. Heathen! She, she affirmed women's right to love, and as she put it on the lecture circuit, quote, women have as much as women are as much as men are personalities responsible to themselves for the use of which they permit to be made of themselves, and they rebel, demanding freedom, freedom to hold their own lives and bodies from the demoralizing influence of sexual relations that are not founded and maintained by love. She thought women should be allowed to bone down. But as a guy, as men, why would men not also want that? Well, they they did, but they wanted to be able to control them. Yeah. So they wanted to, to pay for that. Doesn't sound like American history. (laughs) Victoria was a woman uh, making a living by selling words about sex, but hers weren't gaudy or dirty. She was more like Playboy compared to Penthouse. Yeah. And she had a point. She did have a point. A bit more taste than the smut one could buy at a dirty bookstore. Nonetheless, in this battle, Woodhull would be wrapped up with all the smut people. So she, because of what she was writing, she was doing a little something higher, you know, value, but she gets wrapped up with all the. Yeah. She fought the stigmatization of this, but eventually gave in. She was a celebrity in 1872. Victoria and her sister, Tenny, were the first woman-owned brokerage firm on the New York Stock Exchange. Okay. She even ignored the constitutional requirement of age and declared herself a candidate for president of the United States. (laughs) So she was a fucking kick-ass woman out there knocking down doors and having a good time. Fucking writing about it, running for president, being good. In one speech, she announced, yes, I am a free lover. And that made her infamous in conservative circles. Ugh. And America's favorite preacher was one of them. By the time she published the account of his affair, 
she had had it with the conservatives. On page nine was the revelation title, The Beecher Tilton Scandal Case, The Detailed Statement of the Whole Matter by Mrs. Woodhill. How was whole spelled? Breaking it down. Yeah. H-O-L. Boom. Yeah. 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 Boom. Right in (laughs) the hole. (laughs) To secure the arrest of a prominent leader of women's rights and America's most notorious advocate of free love was a huge coup for Comstock. And they were perfect adversaries for each other. Woodhill and Comstock's battles... Uh, it was a public one, and it was a battle over sexual oppression in America. So all eyes were on them. And it jettisoned Comstock into the forefront of the battle against obscenity. He became chief watchdog for America's public morals. It's shit still going on today. Oh, God, yeah, totally. While gathering evidence for the trial, Comstock repeatedly had Woodhall and her sister arrested and had high bail set, putting them into financial peril. How is he getting all this done? Well, every time that they would find more stuff, they just have him arrested. So they just keep going through the shit and arresting them for each Fucking case. nerd. What a hall monitor. Woodhull had a famous criminal lawyer, William F. Howe, who defended her on free speech grounds. Many newspapers defended her because they feared what a conviction might mean for them. But many of her fellow women's right fighters did not support her because of her, in the past year... She had a falling out with the movement and had threatened to publish every woman's sexual hi- histories in her magazine. Oh, Jesus. In an article called Tit for Tat. Oh, God. I want, I wish, oh, God, I wish Tit for Tat was just its own magazine. <laughs> oh, God. At the gro- that'd be the best thing to read in line at the grocery store. Just soak up a little Tit for Tat. <laughs> Woo! Look at who they're fucking. Holy shit. She's fucking that one. These people are fucking. She apparently demanded $500, uh, for silence from each woman, which is about 7500 today. So that's a lot of money. <laughs> She's an entrepreneur. Yeah. The trial began in June 1973 or 1873 and came back with a quick verdict of not guilty after the judge ruled that the prosecution of Woodhall under the 1872 YMCA law could not be maintained because that law did not include newspapers. Oops. Whoopsie daisy. Whoopsie. <laughs> but you would note from the post-trial results... Victoria Woodhull was ruined. Her career was done. She toured the lecture circuit in front of shrinking audiences and still published her newspaper for a shrinking readership. She finally retreated from public life after divorcing her husband on what was rumored to be money paid by the Vanderbilt Hares for her silence. She and her sister moved to England in 1877, where she married a British banker. She died in 1927. So he drove her out of the country, basically. But I can't believe that that, like, she was... You would think that more people would, like, that would create... That would elevate her. Maybe, but not then. I think there were too many people against this nonsense. She'd be a real Lady Gaga today. (laughs) There you go. Atta girl. Comstock called the trial an outrage, but it had cemented his long career as a vice hunter. In 1875, an author calling himself James C. Edwards, or Ginger, (laughs) published a lengthy and somewhat bawdy poetic account of the affair between the preacher and his wife. Known as the Little Red Lounge. I love it. The prose was very indecent for the time. There lived in Brooklyn, high above the bay, a pastor old with spirit light and gay. Oh, how... Of gentle manners as of generous race, blessed with much sense, true inwardness and grace. Yet led astray by Venus's soft delights, he scarcely could rule some idle appetites. For all we know, since Noah and the flood, the best of pastors are but flesh and blood. 
Full soon the sheets were spread and Bess undressed. The room was perfumed. The red lounge was blessed. <laughs> what next ensued beseems me not to say. Okay, so you get it. Uh, it's really uh, tremendous. Honestly, uh, How, I mean, I'm hard. Uh, I'm obviously clearly aroused. We're just two grown men who are very, very aroused yeah, by this. Yeah, it's a little awkward. But, uh, also, can you imagine writing like that? <laughs> like how fucking old that would get by page four? Oh, I'd like, want oh, to kill myself. Uh, he was sick and tired of waiting a while, so he took her down missionary style. My God, that I can't. <laughs> I can't. I gotta. I might just write regular. Comstock's sensibilities were provoked. On October 27th, 1875, he arrested Hugh McDermott, the editor and proprietor of the Jersey City Herald, and his 15-year-old son for selling copies of The Little Red Lounge. his 15-year-old son? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so down is up. Might as well ruin all the lives. All right. Comstock failed in three different courts to get a judge to take the case. He nevertheless won the battle. The obscene matter was destroyed, leaving the publisher out a good deal of money. This was a common outcome of Comstock's raid. So even if he couldn't get the people convicted, he just had all their shit burned. What a cool dude. Those attack on Woodhull had actually resulted in a decline in donations to his YMCA anti-obscenity group. His rich backers were more enthralled and gave him more. The Committee of Suppression of Vice then split off from the YMCA and became the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice, the NYSSV. Hot. Good hot show, acronym. too. Good TV show. Hot acronym. And Comstock brought the NYSSV to the attention of the public. He was finally able to leave his day job as a dry goods salesman. Uh, I love that uh, during all this. He was a dry goods salesman? Dry goods, yeah. So So just sell like... Dry stuff? Like bread? Maybe bread or dried out. Blankets? Like, what the fuck maybe is Maybe like selling? dried fruit or dried you know, beef jerky or whatever. <laughs> so, dried wait, stuff? So wait, okay. I don't know what dried goods are exactly. I, I don't either, but if it's like dried apricot, this guy's hilarious. But he's not selling like wet goods. That much we know for sure. <laughs> like what? Like what? I like mean, he's, like, he's not like, do you want some gravy? Like it's not that. <laughs> oh, he's not a gravy salesman. Oh, I get you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be. I think my ideal job would be to be a gravy salesman. <laughs> How you doing, ma'am? Could I have a minute of your time? <clears throat> oh, I did not bring the buckets. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And sorry, this bucket's a little. There's going to be some hairs in here. I'm sorry about that. Comstock then went to Washington, D.C. to lobby for a stiffer obscenity law. Stiffer? The. The law of 1872 did not give the government the power to confiscate materials, something Comstock saw as necessary to fight porn. With no floor debate. The 1873 Federal Act for the Suppression of Trade-In and Circulation of Obscene Literature and Articles of Immoral Use was passed. How was it passed without a vote? They just, they just, they didn't have a debate. They, they voted. They didn't have a debate. They just wrote up the law and no one wanted to talk about it, so they just passed it. I'm glad, glad to see things are different. Now marshals had the power to search for, seize, and destroy obscene materials. And Congress created a new position, Special Agent in the U.S. Post Office, with power to confiscate immoral matter in the mail and to arrest those sending it. The position was created with the understanding that Anthony Comstock would fill it without pay. So he got a mail badge. Well, can and you... he got to carry a gun. Wait, oh, so he, he became the, the... Yeah, he got a special position created just for himself. God, and he, he got a gun and a badge. And, and was at the post office? Like, let me shoot that a, porno. He's a mail cop. <laughs> mail cop. Mail cop, here they come. Back. You're under arrest, dildo. <laughs> You're coming downtown, and I don't mean the vagina. 
Excuse me, did you just mail that letter? It's over for you. What did you write at the end? Love? Step in the car, man. Back in New York, Comstock was made the chief agent of the NYSSV, which he created it, so it's not really shocking. Shocking. Uh, He must have been so shocked when he got that It would have been weird. It would have been weird if it went to Larry. He's like, wait, Larry? Oh, I like porno. This is going to be fun. I love the porno. (laughs) Larry. I love it. I'm going to confiscate it and masturbate to it. I'm like a total opposite. I can't wait to whack it to all this stuff. NYSSV, I'm in control of, I'm in control of fucking and sucking. These balls are about to get out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> the 1870, uh, 1873 Act did not focus on fertility control, but was a statute that included birth control and abortion among the lit, long list of commercial obscenities. Comstock railed against contraceptive devices bought and sold in commercial spaces, not against natural forms of birth control, such as abstinence and the rhythm method used privately in the home. So he was for those. He was he okay was with those. for the rhythm method? But he was not for uh, rubbers and, uh, and other is things. Is the rhythm method just blue balls? No, the rhythm method is uh, when you uh, try to figure out the, when the, the egg's going to shoot down the pipe. And not oh. do it then, right? So that's I don't I don't think any of those are technical terms. No, but that no, well, you're a doctor. That but it does like as, as an evangelical, you were probably like, oh man, I can't wait. Let me know when that fucking ball's about to drop inside there, honey. It's about to be New Year's. <laughs> oh yeah, this one's for God. In making this distinction, he articulated the views of many Victorians who publicly supported family limitation only when it was achieved by dignified ethical means. So that's, Such as? They're talking about no rubbers and only by abstinence right. or rhythm method. What Comstock found so... Guess which objection- one I'd go with. Rhythm method? Yeah. <laughs> what Comstock was, found so objectionable was the prominence of contraceptives in the vice trade. The Comstock Act was amended in 1876 to read, Every obscene, lewd, or lascivious book, pamphlet, picture, paper, writing, print, or other publication of an indecent character... And every article or thing designed or intended for the prevention of contraception or procuring of abortion and every article or thing intended for the adopted for any indecent or immoral use and every written or printed card, circular book, pamphlet, advertisement or notice of any kind giving information directly or indirectly where or how or of whom or... By what means breathe, any David, of the here and before mentioned matters, articles, or things may be obtained or made. And every letter uh, upon the envelope of which, or postal card upon which, uh, decent, lewd, obscene, or lascivious delineations, epithets, uh, terms, or language may be written or printed. You read this a little slower and sexy. And hereby declared to be non-mailable matter shall not be conveyed in the mails nor delivered from... Any post office or by any letter care. So, so don't mail porn? Don't mail anything. I could have shortened that. I think don't mail anything is what... Yeah, don't mail anything. Opponents of the law objected to the heavy-handed and deceptive methods used by Comstock. He requested material under the guise of a distraught husband, and when the material was provided, he had the provider arrested. So he'd be like, hey, I can't get it up. I really need help. I want to make love to my wife. Doctor, what do I do? And then the doctor would send a letter back, and he'd you, be like, "You're all under arrest. You go to jail." Well, it, that it really is why religion is so dangerous because it 
it's like to fight for the morality of one thing and use immoral methods to... You're also talking about two private people doing something private. Yeah. It's got nothing... This isn't... This is the mail. So this isn't shit that's going... No. uh, uh, Comstock defended himself by saying, quote, not one of my opponents has ever been near me or made a single inquiry at my office for facts without at least an attempt to get into the facts. They're not qualified to speak. And what they head. say should be viewed with suspicion and weighed with great care by thinking men. Thus is defined the true position of the opponents to the above law. So he's saying if a guy sends a fucking letter or asks for some porn or whatever, the fact that they didn't go to his house and be like, are you really who you say you are? <laughs> that that makes them douchebags. He's out uh, of his fucking mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like every guy, every playboy is supposed to knock on the door and be like, hey, uh, did you ask for a nudie magazine from us? Are uh, you really who you are? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, he's the worst human <laughs> that, ever. That really takes away the the whole idea of like why they send it to you. And, uh, yeah, it really yeah, does. Yeah. <laughs> In the- Excuse me, I don't want to interrupt this family get-together, but uh, your porn's here? Oh, I, <clears throat> excuse me, who ordered the dildo? Uh, sorry, dildo man here. Did you want the dildo? You did, sir. Also, you guys want to buy some gravy? In the 1890s, Comstock began a crusade against Ida Craddock, a sex therapist who wrote instruction manuals of sex advice for married couples. In his first prosecution of Ida, uh, it was 1899, it was due to a book she wrote called Right Marital Living, which was described as a sex manual for clumsy husbands. Uh, I keep trying to put it in the hole. It goes into the arm. That was the dog. (laughs) Whoops. I'm in the dog. Excuse me, Scooter. Honey. The medical establishment uh, actually backed Craddock, and and she was found innocent. Comstock railed against the 1893 Chicago World's Fair because of the presence of a hoochie-coochie dancer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's really, really Uh, fucking uh, out of his mind. Or what they're called by most humans, belly dancers. Uh, uh, Oh, boy. There's a lot to love there. But uh, uh, a belly dancer? Yeah, he was upset about belly dancing. I mean, he's really... Well, the belly was out. He's like, that's the hole. No, it's lower, dickhead. That's not the hole. I see a vagina hole right in her tummy. I only fuck my wife while I'm screaming at her. <laughs> but Ida Craddock wrote a spirited defense of the appearance of the belly dancer known as Little Egypt. Craddock pointed out that belly dancing is a kind of sex education often performed at weddings. And she was right. And Comstock was pissed. Next came her instruction manual wedding night in which Craddock advocated a practice known in tantric yoga as Coitus Reservatus. She believed the practice would enhance marital relations. Tantric yoga, which is horrible, is based on the idea... Wait, why is it horrible? Just Sting does it, and it's just that forever... (laughs) Just because Sting does it, it's It's the forever fucking thing, and it's just, you know, fucking for nine hours. Okay. Without orgasm, I mean, it's just a fucking... Okay. I mean... I don't need it in my life. No, well, you've got got, got a lot. At this point, I'm on board with Comstock. Let's just not do the tantric. Maybe there's somewhere in the middle. Uh, you know. <laughs> tantric yoga is based on the idea that we are not merely physical bodies, but that we consist of energy fields. Tantric practices aim to optimize the interactions of those energy fields and to minimize the merely physical. Ida Craddock was saying that sex was a spiritual exercise and that the purpose of sex was not necessarily to have babies. Total whore. What right? a whore. How dare she? That's disgusting. It's almost like people By the way, to... here are my 450 children. It's almost like people want to enjoy something that feels 
awesome. It's crazy. Although she it was maybe, really fucked up of God to make it fun. Yeah, he sh- if he if he wanted it just to be for babies, then should've there should painful. be like thorns in the vagina. Yeah, you should just be like, oh, I gotta go get I gotta go get Marcy pregnant, and the dick should have like sandpaper on the outside of it. Oh, it Jesus. should be horrible. Jesus. <laughs> Although maybe she wasn't the best person to take any advice from. Her views were unconventional. Her own family attempted to have her institutionalized more than once. One reason was because she said she was married to an extraterrestrial entity known as Soph. Well, okay. <laughs> She's, that's just, whose side are we on now? And that aliens from another universe had, well, quote, told her things. Such as? I don't know. She also said Soph was the only person or whatever that she'd ever had intercourse with. Craddock also became a student of religious eroticism and declared herself a priestess and pastor of the Church of Yoga. Oh, he must have been fucking pissed. Okay, so she was basically insane. Yes. Among her sex manuals were Heavenly Bridegrooms, Psychic Wedlock, Spiritual Joys, Letter to a Prospective Bride, Wedding Night, and Right Marital Living. And so I fucked an alien. Yeah, I fucked an alien. Comstock had her arrested because of the wedding night. This time, a New York jury convicted her. Her sentence was to spend three months in a city workhouse under terrible conditions. As soon as she was released, Comstock had her rearrested under federal law. Gee, what a prick. He's a fucking asshole. Hey, you like your freedom? Boom, get in. But this time, he offered her a chance to avoid further imprisonment by pleading insanity. This she refused refused to do, mostly because she was insane, that's an and that's insane what insane people. To do. Yeah, that's what insane people. Yeah, do. I'd rather go to jail for thirty years than be called that word. I'm not insane, and I will miss my alien. Yeah. Oh yeah, put me in jail. The Mar- my Martian boyfriend will come get me. After the trial, the jury made uh, had to take Comstock's word for how filthy the manual was, because they that's never got bullshit. they never got to read it. The judge declared that wedding night was so obscene, lewd, lascivious, and dirty that the jury could not be allowed to see it during the trial. This sounds like a hard trial to be a jury member in. He added that he would submit to the jury only the question of fact. Did the defendant mail the book? What? That's bullshit. He said, you know she admits having mailed the book. Please render your verdict. I'm going to read you again what he said to the jury. (laughs) All you can all you can judge on was did she mail the book, but she admits mailing the book. So please please render your verdict. I do not suppose you will care to leave your seats, which they did not. Yeah, they were like they didn't go to the jury room. They just looked at each other. And went, we think I, she I sent it. I'm pretty sure she sent it. Sounds like she sent it. it. Can we see it? No. Okay, she's guilty. All righty. So they convicted her without seeing the evidence and without leaving their seats. Cool. On the morning of. October 16th, 1902, Ida Craddock was scheduled to be sentenced. She was 45 years old, and she didn't think she could make it through the expected five years imprisonment. She sat down and wrote a public letter in her home the day before she was to turn herself in. The letter explained in a rational and persuasive manner what she had written and why and what Comstock had done to prosecute her. She pulled no punches. Here's some of it. He has not, however, produced any young person... Thus far, who has been injured through their perusal, nor has any parent or guardian come forward who claims even the likelihood of any young person being injured by either of my books. He stated to Judge Thomas that I had had handed, 
He said to Judge Thomas that I had even handed one of the books to the little daughter of the janitress of the building in which I have my office. It so happens that there is no janitress in my building, nor is there any little girl connected with the same. If the reading of impure books and gazing upon impure pictures does debauch and corrupt and pervert the mind, when we reflect that Anthony Comstock has himself read perhaps more obscene books (laughs) and has gazed upon perhaps more lewd pictures than any other man in the United States, what are we to think of the probable state of Mr. Comstock's imagination today? Well (laughs) done. Yeah. The man is a sex pervert. He is what physicians term a sadist, namely a person in whom the impulses of cruelty arise concurrently with the stirring of sex emotion. (laughs) The sadist finds keen delight in inflicting either physical cruelty or mental humiliation upon the source of that emotion. Also, he might find pleasure in gloating over the possibility to others. At my age, I was 45 this last August, Confinement under the rigors of prison life would be equivalent to my death warrant. The judge must surely know this, and since he is evidently determined to not only totally suppress my work, but to place me where only death can realize me, I consider myself justified in choosing for myself, as did Socrates, the manner of my death. I prefer to die comfortably, peacefully on my own bed in my own room instead of on a prison cot. She then slit her wrists and put her head in a gas stove. Uh, just Jesus that, I mean, double yeah. down. Yeah. Fuck. But she's, but it's, isn't it amazing? The psychological thing. Yeah. She nailed him to a T. Oh yeah. Back then she Dude. fucking had him. Yeah. No, that point is that that's yeah. such a great point. She drove that shit home. Yeah. And then she cut her wrist. I mean, how and do you even logistically cut your wrist? Well, no, but I mean, you also have to get in the oven. Well, you go, well, you, when you cut your wrist, you then you still bleed out for a while. So you cut your wrist, and what do you, you have? You double how long down. do you have? You got a while before you bleed out. It takes a while to bleed out. Real? Like how yeah. long? I don't. I don't know. I haven't done it yet. Come on, you did it. <laughs> how long? All right. 17, did it hurt? Seventeen minutes. I, I am a ghost. <laughs> Comstock did not care about her death. By the time his career was over, he bragged that he had driven fifteen people to commit suicide. That's so fucked. What an asshole. He seems cool. Yeah, he's a cool dude. Sorry, I misspoke. Now, Comstock rarely concerned himself with performances. He barely acknowledged that theater existed, but he was dragged into the theater in 1905. Oh, God. Who, why would anyone take him anywhere? During the fall, George Bernard Shaw's play Man and Superman was being staged. Professor A.E. Bostwick of the New York Public Library withdrew the published edition of the play from 30 or so free libraries and placed it in a closed stack. He said he did it because children needed to be protected from Shaw's corrupting philosophy and that the play would lead to higher rates of juvenile crime. Shaw immediately assumed it was Comstock, and he attacked. Quote, Comstockery is the world's standing joke at the expense of the United States. America like to hear such things. Oh, sorry. Europe, Europeans like to hear such things. It confirms the deep-seated conviction of the old world that America is a provincial place, a second-rate civilization after all. Comstock responded to Shaw. First, he admitted he had not seen or read any of Shaw's plays, but then he still attacked the Irishman for believing, quote, the proper method of curing contagious and vile diseases is to parade them in front of the public. (laughs) Wait, what? What does he mean? He's saying that the way to... That 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 he thinks that 
that Shaw thinks that putting the stuff on display will help cure society of things that are wrong with it. That's not even what he's doing. Well. I'm sorry. No. But that's that's that even seems like a bad angle for him. Well, he's a fucking moron. Yeah. Quote, I had nothing to do with removing that Irish smut dealer's books from the public library shelves, but I will take a hand in the matter now. Sean knows his works can probably do harm to work weak and dishonest people. He convicts himself. The Shaw's outside our rules. Take that. <laughs> Out, rule outsider guy. Yeah. The New York Times backed Shaw. Theater magazine didn't. It said sh- theater magazine. Well, yeah, what the fuck? Theater magazine. Where with the other guy who hates theater? It said Shaw was too often interested in setting the world on fire merely to see it burn. The Chicago Tribune backed Comstock saying literary smut, even though it is the product of genius, is unfit for general reading. What the fuck? Then the producer of the play upped the stakes. He announced that he would... His, the guy's name was Andy Daly, which makes me laugh. Yeah. He announced he would present Mrs. Warren's profession. In the play, Shaw argued that as long as a male-dominated economy kept women poor, prostitution was a reasonable career option. Also, society in the play is intellectually and financially dominated by women. Men are virtually impotent. That's great. He really doubled down. That's awesome. When Comstock heard the plot, he wrote to the producer to warn him against producing, quote, one of Bernard Shaw's filthy products. The producer responded by inviting Comstock to a dress rehearsal. (laughs) Comstock then sent another letter saying that the producer would be arrested. The play opened in New Haven, Connecticut. The local paper called it vulgar. The mayor of New Haven, who had not read or seen the play, then said it was well written and acted, but it was rotten and the city shouldn't license it. He didn't see it? No. Cool. So the producer returned to New York. Police Commissioner William McAdoo seized a copy of the script, took out the lines that were too risque... What the fuck? ...and threatened to close the production if they were spoken. So the cops... The cops, like, went through and crossed out all the shit they couldn't say. I mean... That's like when they put like a like a when someone will buy like a vulgar movie like when Scarface yeah. will be oh, on like uh, uh, cable or like basic cable. Yeah, what was the what was the name of the big video chain? Blockbuster used to do that. They used to edit all the videos to take out stuff. Really? Yeah, Blockbuster for years was editing movies. And it was the same on planes too. Back in the I, I back in the day, like planes would. They'd show the one movie on the big screen, and they'd be like, they'd edit them. Yeah, it's crazy. But that really is so fucked up. Yeah. Um, so he seized the copies of the script, took out lines that were too risque, and threatened to close the production if they were spoken. Late, uh, huge crowds gathered for opening night. Traffic was blocked on the surrounding streets. Billy Club-wielding cops had to assault their way through the crowd to get the actors to the theater. 3,000 people were turned away at the door. Wow. On opening night, 3,000. Jesus. Critics and editorial writers, though, thought the play was too blunt and shocking. The New York Times. Mr. Shaw takes a subject decayed and reeking and analyzes it for the edification of those whose unhealthy tastes find satisfaction in the morbific suggestion. Whatever its merits or demerits as a play for the closet or as exposition of the author's views upon a sociological question it has absolutely no place in the theater before a mixed assembly the herald critic labeled the play the limit of indecency which no amount of editing could purge its filth (laughs) a little harsher (laughs) the police commissioner who edited the play himself attended 
even though the lines uh, that he had cut out were altered by the cast so as not to offend, he still labeled the play obscene. So they what a, they changed every single line that he said to change, and he still was like, nope. That's an indictment on him. Yeah, it sounds like he's not good at his job. Yeah, I'm gonna rest myself. He, it's, they sound the play now probably sounds like Bush's Vietnam records. <laughs> Uh, the police chief ordered it uh, closed and issued warrants for the theater owner, the manager, the cast, and the producer. I mean, what kind of fucking time is... Like, honestly, like... <laughs> God damn, you can't fucking put on a goddamn play. By now, Anthony Comstock was a household name. He and other crusaders always said they were concerned about the effects of this filth on youth and children. Comstock's ideas of what might be obscene, lewd, or lascivious were so broad that even some anatomy textbooks were prohibited from being what? sent to medical students by the United States Post Office. Oh, God. This dude needs to get dick cancer. That's what how, has to happen. How, how to cure the penis. No. Uh, he really, for, if only Comstock's penis got infected with something, it would just be. It sounds like it might have been. Oh, God. The, the joy. At the time, it can't be that, Doctor. Keep looking. At the time, the infant mortality rate in the U.S. was around forty percent. That's a normal statistic. Maternal mortality was ninety-nine percent higher than it is today. Wow. So women dying while giving birth. Forty percent of those deaths were caused by infection, of which half resulted from illegal or self-induced abortions. Birth control was to revolutionize women's health. So birth control was going to save a shitload of women's yes. lives. In 1912, Margaret, Margaret Sanger was a nurse living, uh, serving poor Lower East Side women like Sadie Sachs, a mother of three who had been warned that another, another pregnancy would kill her. When Sadie asked the doctor how to prevent pregnancy, he told her to tell her husband to sleep on the roof. Fair solution. <laughs> She won't get pregnant. Pregnant again, Sadie induced. <laughs> Sadie self-induced. So she let him back inside, huh? Yeah. Well, I couldn't. Whore. This dick was so great. Whore. Pregnant again, Sadie self-induced an abortion, contracted an infection, and died. Jeez. Sanger began to inform women about birth control by writing a sex education column called What Every Girl Should Know for The Call, a socialist newspaper. Naturally... Comstock couldn't have that. No, time for jail. So in 1914, a warrant was issued for Sanger's arrest. She was accused of circulating obscenity through the mail. The law defined information about contra contraception as obscenity. That's so fucked up. And not too distant from where we're at today, no, really. Not. I mean, there's still a lot of people who share those beliefs want abortion clinics shut down don't believe in fucking birth control yeah, and yeah. keep in mind we're running out of resources okay and people are still like let's have more all right take it easy you heretic sorry in place of sanger's column the call ran an empty box that read what every girl should know nothing by order of the united states postal Office. that is ugh, that's fantastic. a better solution that's fantastic right that's a there's a better way to just hide that what every woman should know nothing fuck you well, they said it. They did everything but say, fuck you. Sanger was not a woman who was intimidated and published The Woman Rebel, a periodical that purpose was to challenge Comstock laws directly. She then fled to Europe. Smart. 
Comstock's health began to fade. His health had been on the wane since 1903 due to some injuries he received during an arrest. Comstock had been posing as a common man and corresponding with a Dr. James Darty in Chicago. After receiving a few obscene letters, he decided to apprehend the doctor. So he's fucking asking a doctor for sexual advice and the doctor about gives his it. dick, and the doctor gives it because he's a fucking doctor, and then he goes to arrest the fucking doctor. The doctor must feel pretty good oh my about God. how things shook out for him. Doherty left a marshal and the sheriff outside and went in alone. Sorry, sorry, not Doherty. Comstock left a marshal and the sheriff outside and went in alone to try to get even more evidence. So he's going to go inside and try to get the guy to say more shit or yeah. get more paperwork of stuff. But again, it's just clinical. It, 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 no, it's not because it's about dicks and penises and vaginas and balls. But that, but this is a, that's fine. That's you, you should be able to talk to your fucking doctor about your cock. Not anymore. Or your gine. Cock or gines. Once inside. Cock still, or gines. Once inside, still posing as a patient, the doctor provided plenty of evidence. Comstock then revealed his identity. <laughs> evidence. Yeah. Which means advice. Doherty grabbed the evidence and tried to run upstairs with Comstock in pursuit. So he had a bunch of papers that he... he like, let, me, let me give him a dick files. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm going to flush him. Yeah. At the top of the stairs, Comstock grabbed Doherty's leg and tripped him. The doctor then turned around and punched Comstock, sending him tumbling down the stairs. When he reached the bottom of the stairs, the doctor leapt on top of him and continued beating the shit out of Comstock. Fuck yeah. Comstock finally managed to get away, lurching onto the porch and yelling, Come as quickly as you can. This man is trying to kill me. The first time he's ever said, Come as quickly as you can. <laughs> Though Comstock usually held his own in fights. On a dozen occasions, he was knocked down, but got back up and gave back more to the offender. Once he was slashed across the face with a Bowie knife while making an arrest. Jesus. He, he continued working as the world's leading vice hunter and lecturing around the country to college audiences. One young man who took a keen interest in his work and methods was a young fellow named J. Edgar Hoover. Oh, boy. In 1915, Comstock died of pneumonia at the age of 71. One excerpt from the New York Times obituary. One of the most discussed of Mr. Comstock raids was upon Art Students League in the American Society of Fine Arts building at 15th West 57th Street. On October 2nd, 1906, he caused a police patrol wagon to be backed up in front of the League's doors, where it was loaded with about 1,000 copies of The American Art Student, a catalog published for students. The alleged offense of the catalog was the showing of five nude figures which had been selected by the Board of Control of League as examples of the work done by its students. Miss Anna Robinson, bookkeeper of the League, was arrested. What the fuck? After his death, Margaret Sanger, the nurse he had chased off to Europe, returned. Now public opinion Is was... Is he gone? <laughs> Is he dead? Now public opinion was swinging her way, and she sensed the time was right for action. On October 16th, 1916... She opened America's first birth control clinic in Brooklyn. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Police closed the clinic 10 days later, but Sanger had already started a movement. She would go on to establish Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Thought that might happen. Today, more than 90% of Americans have used birth control. Yeah. That means... The fucking Satanists. That means 10% have not. Well, yeah. We'll always have the Comstock population. 
Comstock boasted over his life, he destroyed hundreds of lewd and lascivious material, including 60,000 obscene rubber articles, otherwise known as condoms. You couldn't even call them condoms. No, rubber articles. It is estimated that he destroyed 15 tons of books, 284,000 pounds of printing plates for engravings. Okay, so there you are. Yeah. Four million pictures and initiated 4,000 arrests. His influence continued to be felt throughout the 20th century. On April 5th, 1927, H.L. Mencken, editor of the American Mercury, was arrested for selling obscene literature. At issue were two articles in the April edition of his magazine, Hat Track. Uh, it was a chapter from an upcoming book about a prostitute by Herbert Ashbury. The other, other article, The New View of Sex, was an editorial essay written by George Nathan and printed in the clinical notes section. Mencken was tried and acquitted two days later, the day after the trial and after all the April issues were mailed to subscribers. The solicitor of the U.S. Postal Service Department, Horace Donnelly, decreed the issue obscene and unmailable. In 1957, the Constitution of the Federal Obscenity Statute was first argued before the U.S. Supreme Court. Sammy Roth had been convicted on 26 counts of mailing obscene circulars and advertising and an obscene book in violation of federal obscenity statute. In Roth versus the United States, Justin Berman stated for the majority, we hold that obscenity is not within the area of constitutionally protected speech or press. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. freedom's tasty, ain't it? It's cool to know, looking back in history, that the U.S. Supreme Court was constantly full of bullshit. Yeah. And fucking stupid. Well, not anymore, thank God. Uh-huh. According to the statistics kept by the post office department, the period between July 1966 and January 1967 saw an average of 34 arrests per month under the federal Comstock Act. Which is why Comstock got Woodstock. That was in fucking 67 and 66. Right? Yeah. But what, what was Woodstock? 68? 68, I think. And I'd be wrong. It might have been later. But, that, but that, I think it was 68, but that's like why... <laughs> it's stuff like this that just it's like a it's yeah, like it a pot of water on a stove yeah. eventually it's just gonna fucking bu- bubble over in 1971 congress deleted the birth control language from the comstock act in january 2004 <laughs> how you doing real good man it, sounds like a far it's it's nice to know that that's close a letter carrier returned the second postcard in as many years to danny mcintosh president of the Washingtonville Art Society. According to Macintosh, they were returned because they were too graphic. The postcards promoting the society's annual exhibit of nude paintings, drawing, and sculptures featured oh a my God. charcoal drawing of the back of a nude female and a painting of a nude woman sitting oh in no. a buttock. I, I see a booby and a buttock. The Comstock Act itself has never been repealed. Oh, God. A modified form of the Comstock Act remains on the books today, though it is extremely difficult to enforce. Oh, God. Let's just get it America, out. America. Let's just get it out. America. 2004? I love America. How great is it that the village people, the gayest band of their time, yep. did a song about the YMCA? It's pretty awesome. They I'm, might, sure, I'm is, sure they... I'm is sure that they, why... I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think that, um, you know, the YMC was against all this stuff. But on the other hand, they also provided housing to people who were down on their luck. And I think a lot of gay people had a hard time. Well, didn't we in life back then? So 
And and wasn't that 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 whole that whole thing about the Newport sex scandal right. started in the YMCA? That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. So there, I think there were two things going on there. because you can't help people who are down their luck without fucking having a lot of sexual shit happening. Well, That's you also can't discriminate on who needs help based on what they're what they. I can. David. I and I will. David. And that's what this podcast is going to be about from David. now on. David. David Anthony. No. First of all, from now on, the doll is about no fucking. Oh, and no fucking in uh, the bottom holes. <laughs> Just the top hole. Wait a minute. Are you trying to say mouth? I think mouth fucking is what Jesus wanted. I think you might want to reread your bullshit. No. Uh, I just realized that my wife's aunt and uncle listen to this. Um, w- should we give them an official shout out or should we just... I don't know anymore. Well, we want to say hi to, to them and thanks for listening. Hey, guys. <laughs> we'll see you at dinner. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this... Uh... This podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, This is Gareth. Yes, this same guy. Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. 